Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Alpha. It means to be first. From the beginning. To be greater than. Greater than every king, prophet, and priest. Greater than every covenant that they could never meet Christ is the true and better. Before the scriptures was the very word himself. Before the prophets was the one to whom they would eventually point. Before Adam was the firstborn of all creation, the first bore all the sins of the world, a preemptive plan for redemption. Before Moses parted, the Red Sea was he, whose sea of red blood would eventually tear the curtain in two. He not only saw the face of God, but was in very nature God, too. Before Boaz, there was the perfect Redeemer. And before Joseph, there was one who would also be hated, sold, and abandoned, but now sits at the right hand of the King, interceding for all, seeking forgiveness and salvation. From Genesis to Malachi, we can't deny evidence of our Savior woven among stories of Old Testament alumni. He is the ram caught in the thicket, a sacrifice for those who trust. He is the Passover lamb, manna in the wilderness, the fourth man in the fire, but always first. Alpha from the beginning, greater than, Christ is the true and better. Let's pray. Father, we, God, give you praise. Uh, We've spent time uh, singing praises to you. Lord, we've spent time hearing and being reminded of how your son is weaved all the way through scripture. And we pray now, God, as we sit under the word, that we would delight in Jesus Christ even more. We would delight, God, in you and your mercy towards us by giving us a word, yes, but also the Savior we need for uh, the the sin, Lord God, and the, the struggle that we all deal with the way we hurt each other 
the way we offend you, Lord God, with our sin, you did not leave us to ourselves, but you sent grace and mercy, Lord, in Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks for him. We pray, Father, that we would leave here with a new love and a fresh perspective on our Savior today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like every week I get up here and then I have something really hard to follow. Um, I, wanna, I just want to take a moment. I don't know where Rochelle is. I can't find her. Uh, but let's, is she in here? There she is. Let's give thanks for our sister. One of the blessings of our church is all the people God has gifted and the gifted women that he, he has here. He's given her the gift of communication, and that was all between her and Shayon. I didn't even know what she was going to say, but I liked what she said, and uh, we're grateful uh, for that. I think I'm supposed to remind you also that on, is, right, Shayon? Yeah, Shayon takes care of me. Um, that on April 10th, we're going to be going back to the office after the service just to have some food together and hang out a little bit. We haven't done that for a long time. There's a bunch of you that I'm like, I didn't even know your face looked like that. It's just nice to see you without a mask. Um, so we're going to get together and, and hang out and, and enjoy ourselves. So we're, gonna, we're starting a series today. It's going to be three weeks, so it's going to feel like four because uh, Good Friday is in there. But it's called Easter in the OT, celebrating the fulfillment of God's Promises And the title of the sermon is, Thank God for His Help Against Sin and Satan. I'll say it again because I want you to talk. Thank God for His help against sin and Satan. Amen. Amen. We're going to be looking at Genesis 3, 1 to 15. And let me read it for you. It says, The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that, the, that God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So Satan comes and he, and he speaks here. And this text, what it does is it shows us that there's two things that we, we battle in life. It's sin and Satan. And we thank God for his help because without God, Satan would destroy us. The Bible says that he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is not like my cat at home that just sleeps all day. He is actively working, distorting the truth, dividing people, and, and working to destroy lives. Without God, sin would always defeat us. Things like malice, Threats, impatience, laziness, rage, flattery, swearing. Sin is like a parasite. It's harming you. Sin is like the cookie monster. It's never satisfied. Sin is deceptive. It promises pleasure and only delivers pain. Jay-Z said, all I need in this life of sin is me and my girlfriend. He is wrong. We need way more than that. We need the help of God. We need the help of God. And I came here to tell you today that we have it. That we have the help of God. And you're like, how do you know? Don't worry, I'm going to tell you. Verse 8. It says, God came walking. And verse 8 is after 
Adam and Eve gave in to temptation. It said the gardener came back to the garden. He came back looking for his people to fix their problems, to help them, and all of it was motivated by love. We have God. And so in this message, we're going to deal with three questions. I think they're going to come up for us. Three questions. What causes us to sin? What do we experience after we've sinned? And what will God do about Satan? These are the two problems that we have. So it says, again, the serpent came in. And the the serpent here in verse 1 symbolizes Satan. He's known as the accuser of God's people. He is our adversary. And I want you to notice in the text, it says in verse 1, that he was the most cunning of all the animals that God had made. That's important. It tells you that Satan is not a myth, that he is real. And one of the things that culture and Satan tries to do is convince you that he's not real, that it's it's this myth, but no, he is real and he is dangerous. That's why the text says that he is cunning. Look at verse three. You're going to see it here. The woman said to the serpent, after he asked the question, he says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, I want you to notice that that Eve, when she responds, she actually revises the word of God. So I'm going to show you. This is what God said in Genesis 2, 16. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So this is what God says. Here's what Satan says. He asks a question. He says, you can't eat from any tree? So so now he's questioning the word of God. Now here's what Eve says. We may eat from from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. So you're like, all right, why are you doing all this? Let me summarize. It's important. So let me summarize what happens here. God says, you can eat from any tree but one. Adam says, or or Satan says, he questions, you can't eat from any tree? He's introducing doubt. Eve says, you can eat, but one, there's one that you can't even touch. She adds, So watch this. I think there's a next slide. I hope there's a next slide. Yes. When when Eve dropped any, she diminished God's generosity and provision. She diminished what God... He was actually being very generous. All of these, except this one. When Satan asked the question, he made God seem unreasonable. When Eve added or touch it, she made God seem overly restrictive. You got to understand what's going on here. And that's why I want us to see this. See, when Eve, when she did this, right, she, she diminishes God's generosity. When she adds, she messes with the word. And I want you to know that Satan wants your mind. He wants you doubting God's word. That's what he wants to do. And when you add to the word, you misrepresent God. And when you diminish the word, it becomes very easy to sin. 
Sometimes we wonder, like, how, how did I get here? How do I go from this spot to this spot? Well, you diminish the word of God, and it becomes very easy to do some things that make no sense. And I want to show you. He tricks them into thinking they have nothing to fear. Look at verse 4. He says, no! I did that because there's an exclamation point. Right? My mom's an English teacher, so I'm trying to get my grammar on up here. He says, no, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. So here now, he makes them think they've got nothing to fear. He says, you won't die, but they did die, spiritually and physically. And here's this reminder of why Jesus needed to come. He left heaven and came to earth so he could give us spiritual healing and save us from eternal death. God helps us. You, you are to give praise. That, that line should add a couple of you clapping. <laughs> Giving praise to God for what he does for us. And then next, he tempts them with power and independence. Verse 5, he says, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That word knowing is important. It's, it's talking about divine knowledge. Satan says, if you have this, you won't need God. And if you don't have God, you will be able to decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. It's power and independence. And sometimes you're wondering, what is wrong with our world? It's this right here. Because they embrace this lie and then everything broke. You look around and you see, you see things like unjust wars, exploitation, murder, abusive leadership, corruption, absent parents. All of that is driven by this reality that we've pushed God to the side and we say, now we know what is right. We are going to do whatever we want, when we want. We will decide. And there's been nothing but destruction ever since. And let me say this. If God doesn't step in and help us, it would go on like this forever. This is all that we would have until we just annihilated ourselves. But again, we have a merciful God who loves us, and so he steps in and he helps us. And you see that when Jesus comes and gives his life. The process of redemption and renewal has started and is actively going on right now. You are a beautiful representation of that. That Jesus has done this in you and that there's a day. We talked about this in the Heaven series where all will be right. Relationships will be, will be right. It'll be a good time. Verse 6 says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So she, look at the verb, she, she saw, she looked at it, and then she took it, the Bible says, and ate it. Why? All because she was trying to obtain wisdom. That's what's, that's what's driving that. And you got and this, this, this word, uh, wisdom here, is talking about having the knowledge that would allow you to, to, to help you have blessing and fulfillment. That's what that word is, is meaning. And you're, you're sitting there and you're like, what's wrong with that? 
What's wrong with wanting to have knowledge that, that gives you blessing and fulfillment and gives you joy in life, all that kind of stuff? What's wrong with that? What's wrong is she and Adam is trying to do this without God. That's what's going on here. God is not in the equation. And what this is, is called pride. Pridefulness. And what's going on here is Adam and Eve are actually imaging Satan. Pride is satanic. And, and, and when, when people do that, they're not imaging the, the, the father who's created them. They're imaging Satan. It's satanic. And without God's help, again, that's all we would do. But again, we have God's help. You know why? You have a new heart because you're in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit who is in you, giving you the power to actively resist pride every day and live in beautiful humility to those around you. I want you to notice this is important, that it says that in verse 6, her husband was with her, and he ate it. Because sometimes people try to present, like, this is all Eve's fault. It's my home, that's my girl over there, right? Kaminda, don't leave me up here. I love it. Say it again. That's not true. Adam, was the brother was standing right there. And here's what you got to understand, right? We got to read our Bibles properly. He got the command first. He knew what God said. And your boy is doing nothing. Just hold up. Right? Like he's taking a picture, just leaning on something. Nothing. Saying nothing. Doing nothing. He does not speak. And here, the thing is, he was, told, he was put in the garden to, to work and to keep it. That word keep means he was there to protect the place. So when Satan, the serpent, is talking, that boy should have been like, yo, shut your mouth. I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> he, should have, he should have shut the thing down, but he doesn't do anything. And what this is called is, this is passivity. He is Passive. And I'm showing you this because I want you to watch passivity in your life. When we are passive people, it leads to indecision. When we are passive, it leads to blind compliance. Nobody wants to live like that. When we are passive, it allows people to walk all over us. When we are passive, it allows people to be deceived and hurt. We don't want to live that way. So watch it in your life. So Adam and Eve chose to believe Satan instead of believing God. And remember those questions I told you we were dealing with? What causes us to sin? Here it is. We stop believing and living by the word of God. That's how we, that, you know, some people are like, oh, I just fell into sin, right? Like sin's a pothole. No, you walk there. We stop believing and living by the word of God. And so when you are tempted, here's what you want to do. When, when I'm tempted, when you're tempted, slow down and just ask yourselves two questions. One, what lie am I believing right now? Remember, they bought the lie. You won't die. And then ask yourself a question. What truth am I forgetting? 
That's what happens here. They bought the lie and they forgot the truth that God was abundantly generous. They forgot that. And in those moments, ask yourself those questions. And then what you do is you listen to the Holy Spirit and you follow what the Spirit says and you reject the lie and walk in the truth. That's how we fight. Slow down. And I read this in a book recently. Temptation actually will go away eventually, you know. In the moment, it feels like, oh, that baby's just going to be here for a long time. No. Fight. And you do it because when you reject the lie and live by the truth, you know what it brings? It brings freedom. It brings stability in your life. It brings growth in wisdom when you live this way. And it also brings a clear conscience, which it's nice to have every day. And so we fight in that way. Next question. What do we experience after we've sinned? Well, we experience shame. Look at verse 7. It says, The eyes of both, the, both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This, this word here, naked, has this idea of being defenseless and feeling humiliated. And you're wondering, what are they feeling? They feel the shame. They feel guilt. That's why verse 8 says they hid from God. That's why verse 10 says they hid from God. The shame and the guilt is deep, and so they hide. And we experience this too, right? When those memories come back, right? You know, like memories come back to us like a bird comes back to a feeder, And all of a sudden, we remember these memories, and then the guilt and the shame is fresh. It's it's new. It's just turning over in front of you, and and you're feeling it again. But I want you to remember this line. It's such a good line. Who could imagine so great a mercy? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken I am forgiven. When you feel that shame, remember the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as God moved that sin away from you, you are good in your father's eyes. And so you fight shame by remembering your reality in the gospel, by what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you are forgiven, that all that is back there. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And we need those things in our hearts and our minds because that helps us to fight every day to get back up and keep going. You remember. You remember. The other thing is we try to fix the problem ourselves. What do we experience when we sin? We try to fix it ourselves. Look, the, the text says, they sewed fig leaves together. You're like, that doesn't sound that big. Actually, fig leaves were very big. And it, <laughs> I got to stop. It's true. I read it in the book. They tried, they tried to fix it in themselves. No, let me stay on. Let me, come on. They don't go to God, Pastor Sean, don't do it. To, they, they don't go to God for help. They're like, we'll, we'll just do this. Now, in high school, I played, I played basketball, and I lost those two games in a row because I, I just missed free throws, right? Now, free throws are tough. Everybody's looking at you. But clang, clang. Then I had this, this teacher. Her name was Mrs. O'Connor LaHue. 
She came up to me and she said, Marv, you stink at free throws. I said, thank you for that. I'm going to tell my mama. But she said, but if you come to school, I'll help you. I said, okay. But she's like, but it's got to be before school starts. I'm like, man, I can't even get here when school starts. So I get there at, at 6, 6.30 in the morning. So she offered the help. It was there. It was available. But the, the sign that I believed that she would help me was when I, and I'm going to try to finish the story. When I got up at 6 in the morning and began walking to school and opened the gym door, when we made eye contact, she knew, you believed me. It's the same thing with God. When you, in your sin, get up and go to God, the Word of God in prayer, and go to the people of God, you're saying, I believe you, God, that you are going to help me in the fight against sin and Satan. And here's the thing. God's solutions are always better than ours. And I'm going to prove it. It's in the text. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. So they sewed fig leaves together. But the Bible says, The Lord God made clothing from skin for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. What they did, eh, what God did, way better. And so we get up and we go to God for help because his solution is better than our solution. He's here to help us. And so we don't have to try to fix it. Here's the other one. We're tempted to blame shift. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Verse 9. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was, I was, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked him, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, here it is, the woman you gave me. to be." So now he, he blames God. That Adam, that cat, man. The woman you, so God, this is your fault. The woman you gave me, she gave me some of the, from, uh, from the tree, and I ate. So he blames God, then he blames Eve. So the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, so now she blames Satan, and I ate. Everybody is blaming somebody else. No one is taking ownership for what's going on. And you see this again in the Bible. Exodus 32, your boy Aaron. I love this story because it's ridiculous. No, seriously. So, you know, Moses is up on the, on the mountain or whatever. He's down there, you know what I mean? Don't, down there trying to take care of the people. And Moses comes down and he's like, yo, Aaron, how did we get a calf? Because we didn't leave Egypt with that. And he's like, Moses, you know the people. He literally says it like that. They took, and then it's so stupid. They take their jewelry off and they gave it to me. And he's like, I oh, you know, okay, okay, fine. They take the jewelry off and he goes, and we threw it in the fire and then out came a calf. That's literally how, go home and read it. But you know what's going on in the text? Multiple times the Bible's like the calf that Aaron made, the calf that Aaron made. Blame shifting. He's like, it wasn't me. And I'm giving you that illustration because there's, there's also 
Another, two other points in Scripture where people sin, but they don't blame shift. So the pattern actually can be broken. David, Psalm 51, he says, against you and only you, I have sinned. The prodigal son is out. He's like, yo, what am I doing here? Thinking about eating what the pigs are eating. I'm going home to my father. And he says, I'm going home and I'm going to say, I sinned against heaven and you. They take ownership for their sin. And they teach us all sin is ultimately against God. But you want to know what's beautiful in both of those stories? They both did crazy things. But as soon as they repented, as soon as there was ownership, God's grace was on them immediately. The father, I can't wait till we get to this in Luke. The father sees his son coming home and he, he literally wraps up his clothes and starts running to his son. Celebrating that he is owning the sin and coming home. It's beautiful. The Bible shows us, yes, sometimes we give ourselves to blame shifting, but the pattern can be broken. And when we choose to take ownership over our sin, the mercy of God flows. Healing comes to your life. Forgiveness comes to you. Peace is restored in your relationships. Victory actually comes over sin. And here's this other one. You set a beautiful example for somebody else to follow. Doing this has has a powerful effect on our life. I want to show you one more thing about God. God shows us here in this text how to pursue and execute justice. You're all like, what? I'm serious. God shows us how to pursue and execute justice. Notice that God God carries out a careful investigation. He says, verse 9, where are you? Comes looking for them. Then he says, verse 11, did you eat it? Did you do that? It's a careful investigation. Now you're like, did God not know? No, he knows. He knows all things. But he's giving them a chance to admit and own what they did. And you're like, how does this help us? Here's how this helps us. God here shows us and teaches us what to expect from our criminal justice system. That this is what they are to do. When things happen, when we see things on the news and we're like, that doesn't look right. They are to step in, investigate, do the right thing, regardless of who did it. Regardless of who's in power, regardless of if that person is from your same ethnic group, doing the right thing and executing justice if the information is there. God also shows us what we are to do in our local church. If someone is accused of ser- all sin is serious, but there's some that are just, that's way up here. But the local church cannot ignore that. We are following God and imaging him well when we, when we investigate, when we do what is necessary. If somebody's got to be locked up, that's got to happen. If somebody's got to be removed from a certain role because of what they did, that's got to happen. He shows us that we do not sit back. We do not just say, uh, you know what, I really like that guy. 
So I'm not going to step in. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, no, no, no. Our God doesn't do that. And he expects that from us to do things the right way. And not just to do it and then abandon the person. There is this restorative thing that's there. We are to do that. We have to have that mindset as well. We want to help you take these steps to walk rightly. And you might have to deal with some of those consequences. But that God shows that to us. And then there's this last one. He reminds us not to pass judgment until we gather all the facts. It's important. Gather the facts. Be wise in how you're going about to do that. But we hold on to judgment until we know. Let me tell you one last thing, then I'm going to let you go. What will God do about Satan? What will God do about Satan? He will defeat him fully and completely. He will defeat him fully and completely. And my brothers and sisters said? That's right. Look at verse 14. I'm not making it up, I promise. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. We will, you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You will strike his head and uh, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Verse 15 in the Bible is known as the first gospel. You want to know where I got the title Easter in the Old Testament? Right here. Now you've got to notice, both people are wounded. But one, one, one person's wound is worse than the other. See, Jesus, when he's on the cross, that is a strike to the heel. We call that Good Friday. Jesus, when he died and he resurrected, that was a strike to the head of Satan. We call that Easter Sunday. It's right there in front of you. Satan thought he won, but he lost. Satan thought he won, but he lost. That's why the text says he is eating dust his entire life. The jam is already done. The battle is over. He's, he's actually from a place of defeat. And when Jesus comes back, let me tell you, he's bringing even more heat. It says that the Son of God appeared in 1 John 3 to destroy the work of the devil. And when Jesus comes again, it's only going to be more destruction for the enemy who is trying to ruin the good things that God has done. And the fight is going to be over quick because it's going to be like Mickey Mouse versus the Hulk. It ain't going to last long. It will be quick. He will appear again. And Revelation 10 says Satan will be thrown, sorry, Revelation 20 verse 10 says Satan will be thrown in the lake of fire forever. Romans 16 verse 20 says God will soon crush Satan under your feet. The battle will be over. No more enemy, no more Satan, no more sin. All will be right. So you're, now you're like, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Here's what we do. Lori, I think you can come up now. We continue to give God thanks for his help against sin 
and Satan. We have his help. And so we start every day, thank you, God, that I am not leaving this house, that I'm not going out into the, to the battle, that I'm not having to fight my flesh by myself. You are with me. You are helping me. I have your mercy and grace available to me. I'm going to take advantage of that. We start with that. And then, then this, we go to the Lord when we sin. We still are going to struggle with sin. That's going to be here until we are fully glorified. But we can go to God. We can ask for his help. When we go to God, we will get his mercy. We will experience his grace. This next one, don't sleep on the fact that Satan is trying to destroy you. That you have an enemy who's going at you all the time. And the thing he's trying to do is get you to doubt the word of God. To turn from it. That's why we have to put on, the Bible says, the helmet of truth. The other one is be active and not passive in your life. Don't just sit back and let life happen to you. Step into it. Learn the word of God. Live the word of God. Be decisive. There's a couple of you probably in here that probably just need to actively take a step of faith in a certain area. Then the word to you today is do that. If you feel God saying that, trust him and walk into that. The other one is expose the lies of Satan. Tell the truth and shame the devil. He is a liar. So expose those lies. Promote the truth of God in the world. And then this last one, remember your Savior is coming again. And all will be right. One of the best ways, too, for us to remember that our Savior is coming is by taking communion. Now, I don't have a communion cup up here with me. I just realized that. But we are going to do that. You should have got that on your way in. Thanks, Brother Yog. But one of the best ways we remember that our Savior is coming again is by taking communion. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26 says, Anytime we eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He is coming again. And when we are to take communion together, the Bible says that we are to, we are to stop, examine ourselves, and just confess any known sins that we have to the Lord. And God will, will forgive. It also says that communion is about unity, unity between us and God, unity between one another. And so if we have something going on with somebody in the church family, you are to withhold from communion. That doesn't mean you're not a believer. The Bible just wants you to get that right. So if you can like get it right before we take it, hey, do your thing. And if you're not in the faith, then communion is not for you. It's for those who are committed to Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would abstain. But we are going to take together, but let's take a couple minutes to speak to the Lord if we need to.
Jesus willingly gave his life so we could have life. Willingly left heaven, gave up everything. The text says that he became poor so that we might become rich in salvation. And this is a reminder of his body that was given for us. Let's take together. In our Luke series, Jermaine reminded us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, that he was more than willing to go get the job done, to have his blood shed on our behalf. And this is a reminder of that. Father, thank you that we are not alone in the struggle against sin and Satan. Yes, there are times where we will, we will fall, but God, you are there to pick us up. You are there to help us, and so we give you thanks, we give you praise. We thank you for this very real reminder of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Giving his life allowing his body to be beaten. He was hung on a cross. Blood was shed. All because he had love in his eyes. sinning and living in just a real reckless way hurting myself, hurting other people you had a plan to make it different help us to feel that Lord God in a, in a new and fresh way I pray our delight and our love for your son would be deep it would be strong. It would go to a spot where it turns us towards each other, where we show each other that same love. Where we protect each other, where we help each other, where we walk together as a family. Not just saying it just because it sounds good, but really doing it. Because we know, Lord God, we're not trying to do that by ourselves. You are standing right with us. Your spirit is here empowering us to live in a new way, to live in victory over Satan, to live in victory over sin. And God, we know because of all Jesus Christ has done that we have a beautiful inheritance coming to us. We know that it all will be made right. Help us to walk in faith and trust and belief in the beauty of the gospel and the power of it. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.